Hey everyone, I have finally managed to get my wife to hang out while we do a sort of podcast. We're just going to talk together and there are some questions people have asked before and we're going to run through that. But anyway, say hi. Well, you can't say hi, but here's my wife. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the Visa and Sharam podcast, maybe? I don't know, we'll try it. Let's go through some questions. So the first question I got the last time was about the GEP. Do you want to discuss the GEP as the first question? Shall we skip it? Well, sure, we can discuss the GEP. The Gifted Education Programme. There was gifted discourse on, on, the, on the timeline again this week. Right? There was. Apparently in New York, they are shutting down their Gifted and Talented Programme. How do you feel about that? Well, the discourse is messy, like it always is. Indeed. Um, I think the idea behind those programs are good. I, I don't know how, 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 how it works in, in New York, of course, but... Um, you know, I think it's better that every child gets treated as if they were in a gifted and talented program than to shut those programs down because of the very obvious problems they have. Wait, what are the problems, actually? I haven't been following... I mean, you know, I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's the same as it is here. You know, is it? it's it's not so much testing for whether you're gifted and talented. It's testing for whether you have money, whether your parents uh, have money, and whether you end up in the correct schools. Ah, uh, alas, that's unfortunate. Uh-huh. But yeah, you know. So uh, let me read the question, Jay asked. I don't know if this is out of bounds, but we'd love to hear more about your experiences in school, especially after you mentioned that you both used to be in a gifted program. Well, yeah, so the story is we were 10 when we were 9, right? When we got into the GEP. Um, I enjoyed, well, you know, as far as school could be enjoyed. <laughs> so I didn't like school to begin with, but as far as school was concerned, I liked, you know, smaller classroom sizes, being challenged to do interesting things. That was all right. How did you feel? I actually wonder if I would have been better off not being in the GEP. How would that um, have just you know school was easy for me yeah. like you you spend your first three years in school just being at the top of your class all the time <laughs> um, and you don't have to pay that much attention and that leaves more time for your own personal fuckeries mm-hmm. and then I think when I got into the GP like it was challenging mm-hmm. and I don't know it was a bit depressing to like like most people would feel I guess it depends on how you cope with the challenge lah. Right. You I went you went from being an A student to being like a B and C student. Yeah. And that troubled you. Yeah. It yeah, I, it didn't bother me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it bothered me because I saw the impact it had on my parents. And oh, so, also, so your your parents were troubled that you were no longer an A student when you were in a gifted yes. class? That makes no sense though. Yes. Right? It's like it's like you're the top athlete in your country and then you don't get gold medal at the Olympics. Yes. Like, yeah, because you're now competing with at a higher standard. Yes. But, okay. but you know, my parents are sometimes a bit like cruel about it. And um, Cruel how? <laughs> no comment. Not, not, not today, not today. Okay, slowly, slowly. Um, and you know, I also had like a younger brother. Yes. Um, and so after I got into the GP, uh-huh. they wanted him to be in the GP, and so they started, you know, the tuition and the annoying him and poor guy. Um, I I felt bad about that. Yeah. So in my case, I'm the youngest son, but you know, my parents would introduce me to other people as their gifted child, and so you know, like my brother, 
who didn't ask for any like you know he's an older brother and he is obviously troubled by this uh, and and I didn't ask them to do that right and like nobody who's gonna prepare you for this right it's not like they're gonna tell you welcome to the GEP um, your parents are now gonna treat you different probably gonna treat you differently than they treat your other siblings and that's gonna be a source of conflict in your life like nobody says that shit yeah and you know it's 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 funny right like um, when you look back and when we were in primary school there was a pair of twins in our school yes like one was in class yes. and one wasn't yes um, it brothers. was the same way with me in like the jeep in, in JC as well mm-hmm. another another set of twins one what? of whom was in the gifted no it wasn't gifted then it was still you know just one of the better classes and one of the worst classes and those two would like come to school together and then not talk to each other in school oh, I kind of so wonder sad. what it was about I hope I hope they are better now yeah yeah that's sad <laughs> yeah yeah and then so you really see how something like a gifted program people I guess they direct their attention at the program itself but what it really does is it kind of throws into sharp relief all of the existing conflicts and disparities in in society and in family mm. and in like just you know it's like how do kids treat each other when you separate them mm. and how but you know like um, a few of my friends on Twitter they are like they they say that they were basically spared bullying mm. because of the gifted classes um, because that happened here also I think a while ago you know every few years like Singapore has the discussion on the GP that plays out in the mainstream media and mm-hmm. I think the last time um, someone wrote into the forum page to say you know their kids were clearly different and bullied in normal class before they got to the GEP where they were happy to have found others like them hmm. um, and that's always you know worth keeping in mind I guess yeah that's, that's complicated did, did you feel when you were in primary 1 2 and 3 that you were different than your peers no no I think I did a little bit but it wasn't it didn't bother me you know it didn't I mean I don't know what like different uh, <laughs> you know like I used to remember like class being somewhat boring and like mm. my house was right next to school mm-hmm. so I actually did this like probably more than I should admit but I used to just pretend to be sick and get called you know you call home <laughs> to get picked up to leave school early and like it, it I don't think you know like I'm this quiet good girl yeah. so no teacher's gonna think I'm like you know, it's truancy or whatever, but yeah, I, I enjoyed skipping class a lot. <laughs> so you were naughty even before you met me. <laughs> Shut up. So you can't blame me. <laughs> I mean, but I naughty quietly. That's sure, sure. That's because you could get away with being naughty quietly. So I was sure. tall and brown and I couldn't hide. Sure. Right, but it's interesting. It's interesting to so hear. So like, you know, when you ask, did I feel different? I don't think that's something I've like thought about. Like, I don't know. Yeah, um, I was gonna say I felt there was a difference in in I would say intellectual curiosity, but it it didn't get in the way of like my friendships. Like yeah. I was friends with kids and we love things, and it's just we're, we're all different in different ways, right? So it doesn't really matter at that age, I guess. It and so we'll never know for sure, but it's something to think about. Anyway, let's move on to more different questions. Um, Marshall asked What are the places Where your worldviews Most depart <laughs> Oh Where do we start The big one that comes to me Is the Our differences of opinion About like Security And being public And being private 
Yep. But I feel like in we we used to have conflicts about that, but now we kind of have arrived at a synthesis. Would you say that's correct? I think we better understand each other's point of view, but yeah. that doesn't. So we better understanding each other's point of view allows us to better manage how we make decisions today. But mm. um, I think we're still like fundamentally different, which is better at the decision making yeah. framework. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we are different. And we have different... So, I mean, just to kind of recap, I guess, like, you have a security-minded perspective where you try not to be seen or heard unnecessarily in a way that... Just if you can avoid trouble, you try to stay out of trouble. Mm-hmm. That's your thing. You try to have OPSEC and try to... those. Whereas my view of security is that I can't hide because I'm tall and dark and have a unique name and all of that stuff and so I I seek security by being public which is to make friends and to be visible and so that if I ever get in trouble if I'm ever you know just my my, my, the the background anxiety that I used to have that I never articulated until recently is that I used to worry that you know if like I get in trouble with the authorities or let's say I'm traveling somewhere abroad and uh, you know, there's there's like some altercation at a bar, right? And like, I, I just felt instinctively that people would not take my side, that they would assume that the tall brown man is the dangerous, threatening one. And so I need to make sure that I always have like a witness or a friend, someone in the room who knows who I am and, and cares about me. So that's my, that's been my security model, sort of. And we didn't realize this about each other, I guess, initially. And so like our behavior didn't make sense to each other. That's the primary way that I think our worldviews depart. Um, another big one, I guess you could say, is that I am publicly optimistic and you are publicly <laughs> pessimistic. You think that's correct? <laughs> I don't think of myself as being publicly pessimistic. Then how do you frame it? Am I not just fundamentally pessimistic? Fundamentally pessimistic? Uh, you claim to be. I think. But I'm not carrying I don't overall. think. Yeah, I think you have more optimism within you than you would like to admit. Because if you were truly, if you truly didn't believe that change is possible, you can't just call me out like that on a recorded podcast. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not today. But <laughs> you know, and I am more cynical and pessimistic than people realize. Because I, I mean, I wouldn't be doing the things that I did if I wasn't worried about what would happen if I didn't. You know, so it's like, again, it's like a true, a person who. I, I don't know how how how. Pe- I think the words optimistic and pessimistic are like fundamentally broken. Maybe yeah, it's not it's not very helpful. Like it's a it's a very blunt, broad thing. But I I do use the phrase like cultivate a casual optimism in my book. It's like I do think there is, you know, just the knowledge that things can change and that change does happen. It's 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 like what do you? I mean, when we start investigating this, we start going to places like what do you really believe and what do you really think? But why is that? optimistic and not just like realistic like of course things change um, always so, change. so the problem with what people think is really what we're saying realistic is that people don't accurately perceive reality I don't you don't nobody does and so you can't so so describing something as realistic is, is hubris because we don't know what reality is and people who think they know what reality is uh, you know they are fooling themselves up uh. So it's it's dangerous to it's better to describe yourself as either optimist or pessimist than realist because <laughs> you know well, it depends on the context but 
reality is that bitch. <laughs> so stupid. What is reality is stupid? No, humans not really agreeing on what words mean. Well, it's amazing that we can communicate at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that's my starting point. So you know, so that that, that just that little exchange just captures like eh. our difference. Right? Like you think it's it's so you focus on how on how people can't communicate and I default to it's amazing that communication is possible. And that's true. even if we disagree about what optimism and pessimism is, like my starting point and your starting point are are different. That's true. Right? But you don't give up. If you gave up on people that's different. Right? Wait, let's look for more questions. You're opening more you're you're opening my tabs uh, The challenges of ADHD and marriage I said this is, deserves an entire episode But let's <laughs> just, just chat a bit Yeah, what's ADHD like in your marriage? Well, when we got married We didn't Neither of us realised Were aware yeah. And then early on We realised that, you know Visa's probably has ADHD And then a few years later We realised You know, I probably do as well so, <laughs> so the joke is really when if we have kids and they also have ADHD, the whole place will be a goddamn circus. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of exciting. Um, but managing ADHD in a marriage, uh, I guess the first thing to really understand is your spouse isn't being a pain in the ass because they want to be. Mm. And um. You should fundamentally believe that you're in a relationship with a person who wants to do the right thing and not <laughs> he is annoying. It's the way it's the way people talk to kids, right? Like mm, um, Yes. You know, there was a there was a tweet recently that was something like everyone is doing the best they can and a few people in the reply said, But I know I'm not doing my best. Right. And I thought that was so funny because like you are. Like you're you're <laughs> You're at the scope of your limit And if you could do any better than that You would be doing it Right If you're saying that you're choosing not to do any better But you want to Then you're you're still at the limit of your current ability You know Like it's yes. not a It's not a Saying what you say about how you are Are not doing your best Is how you cope Yeah But yeah. it's It's You know The reality isn't <laughs> What you want it to be lah Pe- yes, people. I uh, I mean, so part of this again is the problem of language and perception and and models and everything. But I think it's true that um, people do use hypothetical perceptions and judge themselves against it. Mm. Like I do know that on my best ever day of writing in terms of volume, I once wrote about fifteen thousand words in a day, mm. word fifteen word formats. And that took you know, and I know that I can do one word vomit in fifteen minutes if I go if I'm going fast, mm. you know. So I did fifteen of those that day. How many is that? Let's just say sixteen. Uh, it's four hours. So theoretically, I could write fifteen thousand words in four hours. Mm. So I could you know it's four p.m. now. After we're done with this, I could theoretically write fifteen thousand words in the next four hours. And that's just that's just talking about volume. And so is it that each day that I don't write fifteen thousand words is I'm not at my best? And it gets it gets con- complicated because. Again, uh, you know, the best words I've written as a writer, they almost always happen by accident. They mm. almost always happen unexpectedly. And so, you know, when you start, again, it's like what you're saying about optimism and pessimism. Like the concept of best, again, it's too vague. Mm. Like what does your best really mean? Mm. You know, like 
who you are changes moment to moment what you're capable of changes moment to moment what you're receiving what you're responding but you know if but you know now i'm getting i'm getting kind of abstract but if we're talking about again how are you measuring your best in what context like are you are you talking about being able to uh, sit at your desk and do work you know mm. like sometimes like earlier somebody was asking how do I make more decisions or how do I get better at making decisions and I said start with making small decisions and then afterwards somebody else the, the conversation went on and, and the question was just like how do what, what if I have tons and tons of decisions to make and then you know at one level you could try to solve that by trying to lower your standards and just make lots of good enough decisions but you know getting good at that might be getting good at the wrong game because mm. it's possible that you you what you think you have a lot of decisions to make but it's actually you're distracting yourself from like two really difficult decisions that you're avoiding yep and you know so one person might think I'm at my best when I'm making a hundred decisions a day but actually you're at your best when you make that one very difficult decision that you can't make because you have like trauma you have you know emotional aversion <laughs> to it so it's complicated it's really yeah, yeah we can't we can't simplify this to that but anyway we were still talking about ADHD and marriage and yeah so you're talking about uh, your partner seeing your partner as your partner right yeah which brings us to another question from Minty couple dynamics and conflict resolution you have one of the most interesting dynamics I've seen as on Twitter what do you think is interesting about our dynamic? I don't know actually. I really <laughs> wish we could like ask people what. Yeah, it's it's funny. So I I have a thread where I just make a list of like funny exchanges that we've had in real life. So I just kind of report our jokes on Twitter, <laughs> and people. That sounds weird. You know, that sounds, sounds weird. weird, right? <laughs> yeah, but being online is kind of weird, right? Like writing a book is kind of weird. Tweeting is kind of weird. Like, hey, I'm just gonna share details of my life with strangers. But I did that. And you know, part of why I do that is part of my threat model thing, which is that by talking about our relationship, I demonstrate that. I mean, so I'm not this clinical about it, but like, just, it matters to me that people know that I love you. Aww. You know, and and that you are loved. And that it, it's, I, I think it's important. Aww. I think, I mean, uh, I, I, I do this selfishly. <laughs> as in you know like I've said before that part of the reason I'm so online is because I, w- I remember being a kid feeling isolated and alone and there was no one like me in my life and I think it's important that for example young brown kids see an example of a happy healthy marriage a couple having fun loving each other enjoying each other I think that's important, but at the same time, I don't wanna. I don't wanna be like you know. We are people. You know, we are not. We don't. We were not put on this earth to be role models for other people, right? Like, and if we get like you've seen how on Instagram or YouTube or whatever there are these couples, and then they. I, I don't actually Jesus. follow the details that much, but wh- wh- where do you see Jesus? Just I remember that that couple that like, just their 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 whole marriage and their whole children are just a display of yeah. So uncomfortable. Yeah, so that's that's messed up. We would never do that. So so it's like I'm very selective in what I share. You know, it's not like we broadcast our entire lives. It's just little snippets that we feel uh, it's okay to share. Mm. And yeah, some people could say, "Oh, you're being selective," but all commu- all communication is selective, right? Like nobody nobody broadcasts their entire life, even to themselves. Like you don't. There are parts of yourself that you shadow from yourself. Anyway, uh, so I I have that thread, uh, the what gets measured gets managed thread. <laughs> And people really like it. I always 
always feel bad when like someone like goes through that thread and likes like 10, 10 of those tweets and then they follow me because like whatever they hope to get from me is probably not what they're gonna get but that's fine that's <laughs> fine you know like they they've seen how i see you but you are your own person so you're not obliged to be the person that yeah yeah I it's see. just it's just funny yeah if i mean caveat emptor <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you know it's interesting how many uh i especially notice when it's the women right when it's the young women who say things it, it can get quite dramatic they'll be like oh you you give me hope that <laughs> and i'm like i'm not a hope giving man <laughs> you know? i'm just some guy I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a but you know that, that's how it is. Uh. It's 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 this strange paradox of you don't want to you don't want to be this fake artificial, you know, and I'm for some reason I'm thinking of like churches and like people who just the pastor and their wife and how they are like a model for the whole church and then a few years later like one of them is cheating on the other and then they have a it's just awkward for everyone involved. Mm. <laughs> like because because you put you pedestalize this image of this couple and no one can bear the weight of their entire community's expectations I guess anytime you get a look into someone's like real relationships is always like uh, it's it's really a window into someone else's experience right like mm-hmm. um, and I think as humans like people are really quite obsessed with that uh, just the life you live is the life you live. What you think are the thoughts you think. And, you know, like, like this is one of those things that, that always just kind of trips me up and blows my mind a bit. Like, you can be as close as you want to anyone else and you still have never lived their life. Um, and so, when we live in a world that... Everything you get about, like, other people's marriages are, you know, like, the front page of tabloids. That's or, true you know, politicians and how they are they manage their career and their personal life and it's it's all very fake is not the right word, but it's all I don't know. <laughs> it's it, all weird. It's it's intermediated. It's, yeah. It's like a yeah. Like there is a pitch there and you don't necessarily always know what it is. And that's why like like my favorite places to hang out on the internet are really where people are talking about their own problems, right? Like you know that that's that's why like the things like Am I the asshole or, mm. or you know, uh, what's the mother in law? <laughs> <laughs> like just the the dealing with your life and your relationship and needing someone to see and perceive that accurately is very, very difficult. Yeah. And I think, you know, the reason why people like the threat is, is it's it's such a narrow slice of life. Yeah. You know, I, I if I were a single person on the internet, I'll be like, you know, yes, I, I would like to be in a relationship with someone who gets my jokes. Yes. Uh yeah. Alright, we are like twenty three minutes in, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna stop this here and then we'll do another one maybe with the other questions. But that's it for our first episode. Hope you guys enjoyed getting to hear my wife. I think I'm holding the mic a little bit weirdly, so she might be a bit quiet. But we will troubleshoot as we go. Say bye. Bye. Bye.